Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. My name's Gianni, and I'm the executive producer of Sifter. If you look at the stats, any company in Australia lasting for two decades is an achievement. It's pretty rare. Most of them uh, don't make it that long. It's even more of an achievement if you think about a company like Wicked Witch, uh, which has been around since 2001, making games from the original Game Boy Color era all the way up until today, Uh, especially when you think about how the Australian game industry fared after the global financial crisis. They've made lots of licensed titles in Sport, in Warhammer, and recently worked with Tantalus on the Age of Empires 2 remaster. I want to introduce you to Daniel Visser, who's the founder, one of the founders of the company, and we will learn a little bit today about what that experience was, learning how to make games, those very early days, and then pitching ideas off uh, to companies, sending things all around the world in, in the early 2000s, before we were in this internet-connected era in the way that we are now, um, and what it takes to make a company that goes this long. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it's being in the right place. Uh, A lot of it is uh, thinking about the projects you take on, Um, but it's a really fascinating conversation. So let's jump in. If you like insightful discussions about those high-profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcast, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now. We talk about those high-profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award-winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website, that's sifter.com.au. Now, Daniel, um, this year marks the 20th anniversary of Wicked Witch, founded in 2001. Um, Can you tell me, how does it feel to be at this point? Did you think back in 2001 you'd have a 20-year-old business or or was it just something that uh, has happened through, uh, you know, clever work and and, um, all that sort of thing? Yeah, it's pretty well something that just happened, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I can, you know, ch- check check my grey hairs as a bit of a, a, a testament to the fact that it's been 20 years. Um, it seems to have gone awfully fast, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, it kind of just started as myself and some mates hanging out and making games after, after working in a few studios in Victoria and kind of just organically grew from there. And then at some point we started taking ourselves seriously. Um, You know, 20 years in Australian game development is quite a long time. Some of the studios that people would remember, um, you know, the really big pinnacles of ones didn't really even last that long. It's um, a real achievement to do that. Um, What do you kind of chalk that up to? Is it just sort of being in the background, doing a lot of contract work sort of stuff? 
Oh, I think it's just perseverance, mate. It's just uh, <laughs> just just hard work. Uh, n- never say die uh, is, is is probably um, you know. That's right, exactly. Bit of elbow grease, you know. Uh, hard working boys from the suburbs, uh, just get, giving it a crack, um, and you know, probably a bit of luck and support along along the way. I'd say. Can you uh, let's go back into your history as well? So, tell me a little bit about you know how you started because you mentioned there it's like you and a bunch of mates just kind of got together and started making games. Um, t- take me right back to the beginning. Sure, sure. I'll give you a quick history. Um, it probably starts actually when I was six years old, but I won't focus too much on that because you know, I don't remember it too well. Uh, but my parents bought me a, a Commodore VIC-20 computer. I'm not sure how old you are, but um, Commodore VIC-20 and Commodore 64s were uh, all the rage in, in the 80s, um, in, the, in the 8-bit era. Uh, so I had one of those, and that was like six or seven, uh, and I just fell in love with video games. It was like Chop, literally chop lifter and a Pac Man ripoff, and uh, you know, um, uh, cops and robbers, and like I probably had like four games on cassette tape, uh, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, before long, you, you get sick of those those games, and you start actually just fiddling around with the thing. You know, I was always one of those kids who you know pulled pulled shit apart, and you know, played with electric motors, motors. Love my Lego, love drawing. You know, one of one of one of those kids probably hung out in the library a fair bit uh, at. Uh, at primary school, uh, and so I kind of just taught myself programming uh, in the language of BASIC when when I was just in, in primary school, uh, and then I I got to the point where I kind of was writing my own text adventures uh, in primary school, and I think it it was then I, I had a mate, then we um, and I I, I kind of had this. Uh, you know, I had a fantasy that I was going to I was going to make video games and, and release them, and I think that kind of just stuck and never really left. I just I just loved video games, and I followed. You know, the uh, I was a Commodore guy uh, up until the you know had an Amiga computer in in high school, and I kind of was I was the nerd at the square who was you know helping teachers fix their computers, and you know was the, the the computer geek because we didn't have a, there were no computers in our high school, of course. Uh, there was I think we had a computer and had some Apple twos in it or a micro b in the library or something that was about it uh, i went to college um studying programming I, I was trying to i was trying to learn by the way uh, i would get magazines and try and get books i couldn't get my hands on anything to learn how to make video games so i was just feeling around and poking around and really just trying to teach myself while playing games and spending all my spare money down at the arcades you know i loved uh, for, you know it goes Back as far as Galaga and whatever, but I loved, you know, like Golden Axe and Double Dragon and all those games. Kind of really just uh, fueled fueled my, um, my my love uh, for you know for both the art uh, and and the experiences of, of video games. So I just I knew I wanted to do it. I was into it and I was trying to do it. And I just couldn't just couldn't find anything. I tried joining some clubs, but you know there, there weren't really many around. Swap meets was a thing. Shareware was a thing, um, and eventually I. I tried to do join some night schools, uh, but you know, so I either got, got told I was too young, or you know, um, it was just logistically too too difficult. My parents, you know, uh, supported me trying trying to help help me find <laughs> find ways for me to to learn, drive me all around the place. Um, after high school, I I went to TAFE because uh, it was kind of it was either computer science for like four or five years. And I didn't want to do that; I was too impatient. Uh, so I found a, a, a computer programming course at. I was out at Eastern College of TAFE, which is now Swinburne. Uh, and I did that uh, for a couple of years, business, basically business programming. Um, and that was pretty easy because I kind of taught myself programming for the most part, got introduced to other other languages. And then I got plucked out of my second year by a company called Taurus Games, who is still around today. So they're 
they're older older than us. Um, and that was my first job. I was like the fourth fourth dude there. Uh, and I started working on Game Boy in, uh, in uh, coding in, in Assembler. I see you've got a Game Boy picture behind that. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I worked there for a few years. Um, and then I went and joined uh, a company called Melbourne House. Actually, as a matter of fact, would you believe I pulled out um, – this Melbourne House T-shirt. This is like 25, 26 years old, this T-shirt. Uh, I pulled that out of the drawer this morning because um, they're all, all my T-shirts are black. Uh, and I was like, well, that's 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 probably pretty apt if I'm going to talk about the history. I'll get to stand up and, and show my T-shirt. Um, so so I worked there. I was pretty stoked to work there because as a kid, I'd, I'd bought games from Melbourne House and I never knew if the Melbourne House on the cassette cover um, – was was Melbourne, the Melbourne that I lived in, and I, I hoped it was, but I never quite knew because you couldn't look it up. You know, there's no internet, there's no CD-ROMs, there's no mobile mobile phone, mobile phones uh, going on. Um, back then, we used to upload our ROMs that we made. If we made Game Boy games, we used to upload our ROMs on a bulletin board, basically. You know, just before Windows ninety five, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, we used to yeah, use a, mo- a modem to directly. Uh, upload our ROMs uh, over to over to the UK. Uh, at Melbourne House, I started. I got into three D. You know, video uh, video cards were were new. You know, the first the first Voodoo series video cards, and uh, and I just dropped my jaw when I saw what three D video cards did. Uh, I was just uh, amazed. I always loved three D. Uh, I loved early flat shaded polygon three D games on uh, on the Amiga, and so when I saw three D video cards, I was like, wow, that's awesome. So. Uh, I did. I did everything. You know, uh, all kinds of programming. I programmed full games. Uh, I did AI. Uh, I did artwork. I did QA. Uh, I did sound. I wrote sound. Um, you know, sound programs and MIDI MIDI synthesizer mods and things like that. Uh, because back in those days, you did you did everything. It was almost uh, almost a one man show. At Melbourne House, we worked on bigger teams. Um, I, th- I did physics programming and some graphics programming. There, you know, you'd go to the Go get the big physics book out of. Uh, I never really was very good at physics in high school. I was actually not that good at maths in high school either. Um, ironically, I ended up using Pythagoras' theorem every single day of my programming life. So, you know, don't say when will I ever use this because uh, I I didn't really like it then, but I ended up using it every damn day. Um, so, you know, um, fast forward, I went back to Taurus uh, for a little while, uh, and then I don't exactly know what what the the reason was but um ah oh, i think i was just i was making a game at home on on game boy in in my spare time like i was working at the office like day night sleeping under the desk like pulling long hours just because i was passionate and we all we all loved it but then like a glutton for punishment i'd go home and work on my own uh stuff uh, i loved you know i loved uh warcraft i loved rts games i loved doom you know uh these were all the things that really captured my imagination and 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 inspired me and these are the kind of things i was trying to make i really loved multiplayer when it was new playing you know going to lands and you know uh, setting up lands in my house just pulling apart cables and hooking up building you know networks and things like that i was uh, into that and and so were my nerdy mates yeah <laughs> i'm basically an adult by this uh, by this time mind you you know but uh you know that that's what my weekends were were doing um and so i i, I was making a little kind of uh, warcraft clone on the game boy a little a little rts game uh, i called it war monster it was all these monsters that could fight uh, and then i think i wanted to get that published and um you know um 
So that's was kind of the start of it. I uh, jumped on a plane and flew over to the E3 Electronic um, Entertainment Expo uh, over in Los Angeles and and tried 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 to sell my game. Just rocked up. Just went in there with my Game Boy. Uh, I think uh, me and uh, my mate from high school, who became um, our, our art director and has been working with me for about 20 years, you know, we were just um, printing out business cards and gluing them to cardboard like the night before I had to hop on the plane. I really didn't have much idea what I was doing. Uh, and then I just, yeah, just went over there by myself and, uh, uh, and you know, just knocked on all the doors, knocked on the doors of, you know, Ubisoft and EA and Square Enix and whatever and just said, hey, I've got this game. But it went, but went pretty well. Um, uh, I kind of signed a, cu- a couple of deals while I was over there. Uh, well, I handshook on a few deals while I was over there, and I thought, all right, here we go. I've got a deal with Ubisoft to to publish publish my game, and everyone liked it. And I was I was like, sweet. So I came home, and I was like, all right, we're set. Here we go. You know, the, the the empire begins. Uh, and then I think I got my first real business lesson, which was, you know, what is said in a meeting um, doesn't actually correspond to a unless you've got it on paper. <laughs> and one by one. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I've learned that even you know, even our heads of agreement on paper doesn't really mean anything until until the money's in the bank. In, in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, that was my first kind of big lesson in business. But uh, I, then, I, but I was really almost by myself. I was like, shit, I better find some work then. Um, so through a friend of a friend, we started working. Um, I went back to Game Boy after doing PC 3D stuff at uh, Melbourne House. I went back to Game Boy, um, coined the name Wicked Witch. We we're going to call ourselves um, the Wizards of Oz. And I thought, oh, that's pretty clever because, you know, we're programming wizards or gaming wizards and we're in we're in Australia. Awesome. How clever are we? And I think when I searched ASIC register, I found it was like 167 businesses in Australia called Wizards of Oz um, or the Wizard of Oz. I was like, everything from hairdressers to bricklayers to whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, that's not very very cool. Um, we're in the eastern suburbs, so somehow through probably drunk conversation or whatever, we got to, oh, we'll be the Wicked Witch of the East instead. We thought we were pretty progressive, having like a female avatar at the time and, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, that, that, that'll stand out a bit. We'll We'll, we'll we'll do that, and then, I don't know. It just kind of it just kind of stuck. It was the only name that everyone did. That's quite a good naming policy, much. you know. Quite often, so, if everyone <laughs> that, that was as good as it got. That first game you worked on, did, does it still exist in any form, or is it uh, completely gone now? Do you still have like a you know a ROM cut? Yeah, I think I, I still have a ROM file. I still have the homebrew kit somewhere in the bowels of the the, the office at Wicked Witch. Um, it exists. Um, Actually, there's a uh, there's a few kind of obscure Game Boy fan sites uh, that have reached out to us, and uh, we've we've sent the ROM to. It turned up at a at a spot. Someone someone bought someone bought a whole bunch of like old Game Boy garbage. So I had sent the ROM to somebody at some point. They burnt it onto a onto a cartridge, and it had found its way into like a computer junk heap that somebody bought and got going. And I got this random email like twenty years later, just saying, "What is this game?" Uh, I was never 100% finished, though. I only, only really set, finished it to 75%, but it exists. It lives on uh, fondly in our, in our memories as well. And in your hearts. Can you tell me a little bit, because, you know, a lot of the work you've done is um, work like the game that is behind me uh, on licensed properties and, and doing those deals. How did those sort of first deals come about? What was the connection that allowed you to kind of put something together that meant that you got some paper, you got some money, uh, and you are able to produce things that people could play? 
Yeah, good question. So um, the first contest kind of came from a friend of a friend, like recommended. Uh, there was a company in the UK doing um, called Crawfish Interactive. They were doing some games. That was the alien, the alien game behind you. Uh, from from memory, something had happened to that project, and it was it was in a bit of trouble or whatever. And they just said, "Can you help?" And I remember I stayed up day and night and day and night and rebuilt the game from scratch uh, in, in in about twelve weeks, I think, from from start to finish, and just like bashed it out didn't sleep just just you know coffee and cigarettes i think kept kept me going and uh, and kind of yeah just bashed that game out and then after that looking for work uh, there was a site called gamma sutra which was an you know an early kind of um, site uh, just that, that i used to hang out on and there, there was a jobs forum on that and so i just pitched on that and um and that's how we got a few contracts we started working for thq value soft doing like so, you know, you know those bargain bin CD-ROMs with you know, like solitaire packs or jigsaw puzzle games and shit like that? Um, yeah, we did that. It wasn't too bad because um, we got paid out of the US and the Australian exchange rate was like 55 cents to the US dollar. So uh, that's when I realized we, you know, when it came to kind of exporting and uh, that, yeah, we had a, we had an advantage. So so there were some good times. That kind of get got us our start uh, and all of this was done pretty well in my study at my house with my two young kids at the time uh, and then then I and then I then I moved uh, I bought a two bedroom unit down the street and that became our first our first office kind of continuing on as well I'm just curious because you've kind of worked if you look through the history of Wicked Witch you've kind of worked your way through the multiple different platforms over the last 20 years is there a one that holds a really close place in your heart um, one that you think man I had some great times when we were developing for PSP or whatever it ended up being. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good question. Um, I, I guess the Game Boy uh, probably still resonates. Uh, I ended up, you know, at Taurus. I did a few games on Game Boy. Uh, I did a couple uh, on my own and Crawfish. I think um, Shannon and I did about did, did three, three or four Game Boy games. So um, there was something about the challenge of such limited resources. I think we had a, it was a one megabyte cartridge so the whole game sound graphics programming everything had to fit in one megabyte or half a megabyte 512k and um i think that the cpu was a one megahertz cpu you know you only had a seven assembly instruction so something about the you know building something out of almost nothing i think when we got our dev kit it was literally five photocopied pieces of paper that was just the, the the architecture, the CPU and the memory maps and whatever, just the diagrams of the of the hardware, and that's all you got. Like you couldn't even you could you know, there was no text. You couldn't print something to a screen. You couldn't do. You had to write your own font and your own screen thing to and to eventually print. Um, and so there was something something about that I think was good. But you know, I, I love the Wii, the Wii motion controllers. That that was a good time uh, in in video games. Um, the dawn of the iPhone as well was uh, was was pretty good. That was a pretty revolutionary piece of hardware, uh, and of course, you know, Xbox and PlayStation. Just uh, you know, you always just look forward to, to the next ones of those. I'm a PC gamer still at heart in a lot of ways. So, tough question to answer. Um, can we talk a little bit about all the, the sports games that you've worked on over the years? Because you've had a really strong connection to both AFL uh, and NRL, as well with different series across heaps of different things. Um, what is it like to, to build a game to a license like that? You know, these are the biggest codes in the country. Um, these games, uh, you know, sh- I think should be the biggest games in the country just about because everyone 
almost watches some sporting code in Australia, just about. Um, what is it like to build a game for those and, and sort of meeting the expectations of, of what players want from a game, you know, the speed and the action of AFL or, you know, the tactical sort of play of NRL? Good question. I mean, there's something romantic about uh, uh, being Australians using Australian content to be played by Australians. Uh, I think that that's really special Like, uh, uh, and uh, been a proud and privileged that we've had that opportunity. Um uh, uh, the and you know and 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 fans fans love it and they hang out for it and they play it and, and it does you know they they are number one sellers uh, in the country for those for those few weeks when when they when they come out and so uh, and the fans are super passionate so you know there's lots of good things about it working with the AFL is awesome and you know just uh, meeting all, all the dudes and uh, you know going to all the stadiums and traveling the country and you know there's heaps of fans in the studio that get get their kicks out of meet, meeting their, their their heroes and uh you know and the same for rugby which you know is also in you know, uh, France South Africa and uh, New Zealand of course um and England so um you know there's a there's there's a bit of a, a thrill about that um, but then there's the the the, the challenge uh, as well. Like the challenge is, uh, I can't I can't put it into words. It's kind of insurmountable. Like it's uh, it's almost Im- uh, impossible because you want to make you want to make you know Australia's EA uh, EA FIFA right. That's what that's what you want to make. Uh, those projects are you know fifty hundred million dollars uh, budget. You know they I think they have more people just making the kind of generic players than we have on our entire development team. Uh, I think we our budget is like 2% or, or whatever uh, of, of their 2 or 3% of their budget, something like that. I worked it out once upon a time just, you know. Um, so, so the challenge to bridge that gap, to try and make uh, FIFA on – Two or three percent of the budget um, is is tough, and you know the the only way we can really do it is by just just going above and beyond. You know, just because we're passionate and it's a tribute to uh, all the people at Wicked Witch. You know, they you know they love video games and a lot of them love 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 the sports and love what they do. So we just we just work day and night, man, and you know work through holidays and Christmas and just do whatever it takes to make ends meet to to get to the best thing. We, we possibly can so uh it, it it's tough you know um we, we we do our best uh we know we can't kind of compete because you can only sell a certain amount there in the country right and that's why the price has to be what it is and the content has to be what it is and uh, you know we 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 punch a fair bit above our weight uh actually when when you when you see what we have to work with I'm interested as well because you had a hand in um, working on the Age of Empires 2 remaster, a game I'm pretty sure you, you must have played back in the day. What does it feel like to to rebuild a game like that, You know, to recapture the feeling of playing that game, if not the actual gameplay? Because you know things have moved on since then. Uh, absolutely. So... Um... So it was pretty cool when it came along with our, our, our friends at uh, at Tantalus uh, here in Melbourne as well uh, when we were talking about doing it. And I think uh, they were going to do Age of Empires 3 and they asked if we wanted to do Age of Empires 2. And secretly I was like, yeah, man, we'll do Age of Empires 2. That, 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 was, a bit, that was a better one. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I know it wasn't 2D and they wanted to do the 3D one. I think that was that was a big, a big part of it. Um, but, but Age of Empires 2 was one of my favourite games uh, of all time. I think... Tough to pick your favorite games of all time, but it was in my top three. If if my top three were like probably World of Warcraft, Age of Empires, and 
I probably have to say Minecraft these days. If you just look at hours spent playing, uh, I, I guess it, they're probably and so when that opportunity came along, like we used to play in the office, like we used to, you know, we used to we used to play it like all weekend, and that was. Um, you know, it was it was our reward for for a long day and night's work. We'd uh, someone would start a server, and then we'd 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 play we'd play Age of Empires too. That's what we did, and we just uh, absolutely loved it. So when that opportunity came along to work with Microsoft, we were we were pretty stoked. Um, uh, again, you know, the reality sets in. There are budgets, there are there are timelines, um, and, and it was a big job. It was a big job. Uh, we we had some help, so uh, I think all the artwork was was made overseas uh, and and resed up. And it was our job to kind of, you know, compress it down and make sure it just fit and ran and and worked. Uh, we had some help with some of the original members that worked on the original, um, kind of scattered around Europe. Uh, the project was run by Microsoft out of um, out of the states, and uh, and we kind of, yeah, we kind of did did the rest. And uh, um, yeah, um, it was good. Like you know, we 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 wanted to preserve it as best as we could because we, we were fans of the games. What you don't realise is that the community is so massive with so many millions of players that it actually soon unraveled to having to support all the mods and the modding community and all the stuff that they had put in. And then, you know, there's all the tournament dudes, uh, all the people who are hardcore uh, passionate about the game. Uh, working with Microsoft was cool because they wanted to do cross-play between, uh, you know, the Steam version and the Windows version, which hadn't been done before. And, uh, and so, yeah, we... Um, uh, we just wanted to look and feel just smooth and new, uh, but just but but still be the same game. We actually had a problem when we were getting towards the end that it looked uh, like it was like you know four times quadrupled the resolution, and I had animations, and it had you know thirty two degrees of rotation instead of eight and whatever. It was like significant, uh, you know, like normal map water and all this stuff. But there's a thing that happens um, in video games. I was talking about the old ones. Uh, this thing called uh, rose-colored glasses, right? You m- remember a game so fondly. I don't know if you've ever done it. You ever gone back and played one of your favorite games like 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. and you realize even um, as recently as playing a game like uh, Skyward Sword on the Wii, which has just come out, and loved that game at the time, cannot play sure. it now. Even the camera controls are yeah. impossible to like, – I know. Isn't- cannot get through. It's even Mario sixty four. I'm just like, wow, was this really the camera that uh, that seemed revolutionary and awesome at the time? Uh, that's right. So I think when they were doing focus tests, they kind of said, um, no one thinks it looks any different. They're like, they're, they think it's the same game as last time. We're like, what? But it's got this. It's got. This. They don't care because that that's how they remember it. You know, they didn't care that it was on a ten twenty four by seven six eight monitor. Now it's in freaking four K pristine glory but they, they're just they're just like it's just, they think it's the same game so um so that was cool we got to be really creative then at that point um and we started at basically just adding bling and shine and you know we we put in dust particles behind all the horses and uh, you know and, and nice nice shines and you know god rays out of the buildings when things upgraded and just just tried to crank up, up, up the shine kind of at uh, at the last minute, uh, actually, just before the E3 unveiling. So we yeah, we just kind of cranked all that. But, um, yeah, it was really good, good experience. Is this something you learnt about the game uh, that you sort of realised, uh, you know, only after the fact that, you know, the sort of duct tape and everything that was taken to put that thing together that, you, you know, 
Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit like that. I mean, it was old, man. Like uh, you know, we did we did have the original kind of code and stuff as reference, and we still and we used you know and and we used what what we could, uh, but yeah, we had to rewrite the entire networking architecture, and there was no separation between game engine and game code, which is what you know what you do these days. But back then, you didn't. You know, it was all just it was all just written bespoke or kind of all in one because and it was optimized for that hardware you know what pentium 90s pentium 100s whatever 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 it was back back in the day all single threaded wasn't you know ready for for multi-core processes uh uh, you know the networking was very integrated to everything uh you know even like the, the way the sounds would play and stuff like that so yeah it was interesting to see uh, you know, it was state of the art at the time but um you know technology is has moved on since then there's an interesting movement at the moment where a lot of the games that I grew up with playing um, in the early days are now starting to see their remaster and there's a big market for it. Um, how does that make you feel in terms of balancing the fact that these games are getting remade um, so that people can replay them and, and relive a bit of that experience versus making new games um, that, you know, sort of take things further and, and you know in 20 years time people be like we need the remaster of whatever came out in 20 yeah it's a good thing i did i don't i don't know if i really saw it saw it coming to be perfectly honest like you know they, they used to they used to kind of you know make new slick versions of pac-man and stuff like that but um really doing remasters and remakes um yeah has become a thing now i i think i like it I, i'm into it because um you know you did enjoy those games and like i said the old ones just don't really stack up anymore. There's a thing that I, I, I tell people that is kind of somewhat unique to video games, I think. Um, when you compare, like, movies, movie sequels and movie remakes, they're, uh, they're often not um, as good as the original. Uh, even, you know, follow-up albums from bands and things like that can can be uh, disappointing. Uh, and that's, in fact, often the trend. They can't recapture the the magic uh, or the certain, you know, you know say, well, that the, that game had. Um, but video games, uh, the sequels tend to be better uh, and the games tend to get better and better and they tend to get iterated on. Uh, and I think remastering is kind of just part of that, you know. Video games are never finished either like when you finish it there's always more stuff you wanted to do and you wanted to put in but you just didn't have the time and budget so um so i, I like it I, I i'm into it um and i think you know if they can remake um a, a film you know every every what, 15 years now or whatever unless sometimes i may remake it like 12 13 years later and like, what didn't that just come out um i think i think remake uh, remastering video games um is a cool idea i just bought the diablo 2 uh, remaster i haven't i haven't looked at it yet but uh, I'm, I'm keen keen to check out that uh i've quick you know had a bit of a play of far cry 6 last night because you know it's a 6-1 it'll, it'll, it'll just be better you know i've already had you know the graphics details better it's a newer console the hardware's better so uh video games just kind of keep getting better um, is there anything that you wish uh, you'd had the chance to remaster? Any potential projects if anyone's listening and they say, oh, maybe we could get Wicked Witch to remaster this particular beloved series? Well, uh, that's a that's a tricky question. Put me on the spot there a bit. Uh, I'd probably I'd probably say Ultima springs to mind. Uh, you know, the first MMO was Ultima Online. Well, one of the first MMOs was Ultima Online, and I, I, I had a very – uh, you know, special place for uh, for for that game. So um, yeah, may- maybe maybe Ult- maybe Ultima uh, would work. Some of those old uh, RPGs, you know, Dungeon Master. I was I'm a bit of an RPG guy, uh, I suppose. So um, you know, yeah, they were kind of 
work for me. I think they're doing Half Life, aren't they? The, the Half Life is still still going. That that was pretty special. It came out. Doom is getting you know always getting remade and remastered. So uh, Warcraft is is always evolving. So lot, lot, lots of the classics are already doing it. But I think it's some of those those kind of hidden gems like Ultima maybe need another go. Um, Daniel, I feel like we could chat for ages, but it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, thanks so much for, for being part of the show, telling us a little bit of the history of, uh, of Wicked Witch. Uh, 20, here's another 20 years. We'll talk to you in 20 years' time, hey? Or hopefully not before, before then, at least. Yeah, look, uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to, uh, to to Melbourne International Games Week uh, as well. Um, you know, it's a time when we all come together and, and celebrate. I know uh, some of the guys from the office have been attending the GCAP conference uh, uh, earlier this week, um, you know, which is uh, proudly supported by, uh, you know, uh, by our local government here. You know, you know that more than 50% of the game uh, development studios are in uh, Melbourne, uh, Victoria. Uh, it's the place to be for video games. Uh, Film Victoria, you know, got us started uh, with, with grants and support, and the Victorian government puts a lot into Melbourne Games Week. So uh, uh, it's a bit tough during these times. Um, you know, usually PAX is on, and everyone kind of flocks in, and, and it's a really good time to uh, see games, meet meet people, and, and celebrate it. So uh, I encourage anybody to uh, try and take part virtually uh, if they if they can. And uh, I just want to be thankful that. Uh, we're, we're here in, in Victoria, uh, Australia, still making games. That's Daniel Visser from Wicked Witch. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Sarah Ireland, Viv Thumb, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer. My name's Gianni DiGiovanni. I'm the executive producer. You can find links to everything we spoke about on this episode on our website. That's sifter.com.au, including a bunch of other things as well. We've got articles. We've got gameplay. We've got other videos and other interviews with creatives in game development from all around the world. While you're online, why not join our community? Uh, we're giving away uh, games. We talk about creative works that we are putting together it's just a nice supportive place that's on discord and you can go to sifter.com.au forward slash discord to join one of the best things you can do is share the show with your friends it's free tell them if you reckon they'll like it give them a recommendation it means a lot if you actually recommend something to someone else even better than us telling them so if you think we do a good job you've had an interesting time and you share that that'll mean a big difference if you've got a bit of extra cash around and you want to support us to get to events to buy new equipment uh, to cover new stories you can go to the sifter store at sifter.store we've got a bunch of video game inspired unique designs that you can pick up uh, a bunch of different t-shirts there lots of cool ones that you can enjoy that's sifter.store that's all for now until next time have fun
If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 